Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Promotion on the Budget podcast. This week, we are over Zoom because Josh has gone home for Christmas. Um, this is our first uh, one over Zoom, so it's going to be a different experience for us and a different experience for you guys, but I'm sure we can still bring you top-quality content, as we always do over here on Poab. Uh, but, Josh, how are you feeling today, mate? I'm doing all right, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, buzzing, buzzing, mate. Uh, Norwich to top the league, so, uh, yeah, buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. Didn't, didn't take you long, did it? Did not no, it take didn't. you long to make. I'm not going to stop mentioning it until we fall from the top. Not at all. Realistically, considering there's football seemingly every single day at the, at the minute, no one can really complain, can they? Exactly. We're loving it, loving it, loving it. Like, loving you, it you've loving you've it, missed the it. opportunity there. Uh, oh, but, like, loving it like that is yeah. what you wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted. Because, uh, oh, you know, yeah, okay. Anyway, we'll carry it. We'll carry on. Anyway, Josh, we're going to oh, go. Really. We're going to go into. Straight into midweek's games from last week. Yeah, let's hit it. Start of December. Lovely stuff. Yeah, so this was, uh, this would have been, um, looking back on it, the 1st of December. So we're going to go with, we're going to pick two games from each day. So one, two from Tuesday that we're going to just have a quick look at and see what happened in those, the big results. So should we go to the, I, I pick one, you pick one? Should we go yeah, with that? Yeah, so I've picked and then, Cardiff Huddersfield. Okay, and for the... Other Tuesday game, I think the obvious choice is uh, Bournemouth-Preston. All right, yeah, we'll start with Cardiff-Huddersfield then. Um, and I think the big talking point for that one for me is Keeper Moore. Um, he's got a brace here and he's also carried it on through in the next game as well. He scored again. Um, but Keeper Moore at the minute is really proving to be a very top-quality championship striker and really does suit Cardiff's style of play. Obviously, we know Cardiff is sort of a Brexit-style team, so to speak, where they, you know, big man up top, get the crosses in, and they'll go from there. Um, and Keith Moore really does epitomise that. He's, a, you know, six foot six, I believe he is. He can, you know, in the air, he's a, he's a threat. He's taller than most defenders in this league. Um, and he, he really is fitting into the plans at Cardiff. He's a, he's a very solid player. I uh, don't think there's anyone that has seen him play that can deny that. He's clearly hit his goal-scoring vein of form. He seems to be doing what all strikers ultimately strive to do, which is deliver and score goals. Um, he's made a massive impact to this Huddersfield... Uh, Huddersfield? What am I talking about? Cardiff side, um, that have obviously then gone and put three past Huddersfield. Um, that's not the first time in the last week that Cardiff have scored three or more goals in a game. Obviously, that was them doing seven goals in two games after their 4-0 win at the weekend prior. So looking at things in kind of retrospect of everything, a striker who's delivering, scoring goals, getting on the ball and being productive with the ball is at the forefront of any team. That's what everyone loves to have in their own outfit. And obviously, he was absolutely kind of... He was instrumental. Like you said, yeah. (laughs) Oh, um, and for Cardiff as well, you know, they uh, didn't they beat Luton 4 0 at the weekend uh, previous to that? It was. And they've now gone and beaten Huddersfield 3 0. You know, that's seven goals in two games and zero conceded. They, we're obviously seeing Cardiff as a side that maybe won't ship in as many goals, but won't score as many. But now they're really starting to prove that they can also go forward and score a lot of goals. And that's going to be the sort of thing that brings them up into the playoffs or even into automatic promotions. And if they carry on this form, they will be looking at that um, definitely. And it's, it's, it's exciting to see. We've seen this Cardiff of old, the, the side that got to the Premier League a few seasons back. Um, the side that know how to score goals, but yet at the same time be able to see out a game. Because obviously they didn't have the best of starts to the season. I don't think any Cardiff fans um, deny that. 
Um, and realistically, this made a form, obviously, if we take into account um, the fact that they obviously got a result on Saturday, just gone as well, um, beating Watford 1-0 away from home. They've taken themselves into the top half of the table. Nine points for a possible nine in their last three games. I don't yeah. think that, that, that kind of form, obviously, as anyone would know, three games on the bounce, scoring eight, conceding zero. If they can maintain that, they will be strong, strong candidates to, um, at the halfway point of the season, obviously, which we are coming up to very thick and fast at this point. Um, very strong candidates at the halfway point to be mixing themselves up in around the playoffs. 100%. I think they are, that you're looking at them and they're the league's most informed side. They're really, you've really got to fear them, you know, Keith and Moore, uh, Shea Ojo, another player you picked up on um, in last week's podcast. He's got a been very game. solid, yeah. And I still like Junior Hoylock, who is obviously a very experienced championship winger as well. And they just have a yeah, lot of Yeah, he came off the bench for them in that one. Exactly. And again, Josh Murphy as well, another top quality winger. And they just have quality thriving through that side uh, in Cardiff, especially at championship level. And we'll really be, uh, we'll really be a, um, a contender for the season. But anyway, we talk about Huddersfield perspective. They're really carrying on that inconsistency. Um, they're just shipping in a lot of goals in recent weeks as well, which isn't ideal. Um, obviously, Tyrese Campbell. Um, uh, sorry, oh, about Tyrese Campbell. Stoke City beat uh, beaten four three a few weeks ago. Again, shipping in four goals there, where Tyrese Campbell was on fire, which we spoke about. That's that's the point I was getting at. Sorry, um, but um, yeah, it's Huddersfield really are. Whenever you watch them, you, you know you're going to be in for an exciting game. So they either score a few goals or ship a load in. And in this case, they're shipping a load in. And I think they really need to find that consistent vein of form where they can just do what Cardiff are doing at the minute and score goals, but not concede. And they're, they're really struggling with that. Yeah, I mean, with Huddersfield, I think their main issue is actually being able to grind out a result full stop. If you look, um, obviously, the Cardiff um, result seems to be a bit of a blip in their kind of run, um, as you as you call it, because in their last three, um, including obviously their win against QPR um, on Saturday, they've actually won two of their last three, picking up six out of the possible nine. So they're not exactly, um, well, I said they're not exactly playing bad football, but if you look at everything they've had before that, that before the Middlesbrough win, they were actually one win in their last seven, picking up only a total five points out of a possible 21. Now, that is not good form at all. That's but like we said, form. it is quite frankly relegation form. Um, but realistically, if you look at this Huddersfield side, they've um, got a decent amount going for them in terms of the quality they do have in the squad, which we have seen. We've seen glimpses of that throughout the season. But looking at kind of the statistical side of the game that they had at, um, against Cardiff, they've dominated them for possession. They've been equal for the amount of shots that they've had. Actually, both teams have had four shots on target. Um, I think the main point to note with this is that Cardiff's three goals came from clear-cut chances. They were very kind of, they were expected to score them um, in no other way to put it. Now, take every respect, they haven't necessarily played badly in this game. Um, I think they've just kind of been at fault and they've let themselves kind of let their concentration, let their focus slip um, at times where they've just been, quite frankly, carved open. Now, Cardiff, by no doubt, are probably the better team when you look at their squad. They've got some very, very good players in there, like you've mentioned. I think the one that um, you didn't pick up on specifically is um, Harry Wilson. Now, oh, yeah. obviously, he, saying again, he came off the bench. 
he he came off the bench and quite frankly he uh, came off the bench he came off um in the 90th minute my apologies and quite frankly he is not a championship player he is a premier league That's quality he was player play, he was playing we've premier seen, league football last season before we see we see so many of these players that are Premier League quality. The same with Blackburn. How they've managed to get Harvey Elliott on loan. He was actually, he's done very, very well at Liverpool. I thought personally that he was going to get a loan out to kind of a bottom half the league Premier League team. Uh, Blackburn have done very well to secure him and obviously he's firing I'm for also them. going to just point out, um, with the three stars that got relegated, you look at Watford have kept hold of Ismail Assar, easy Premier League quality. You look at Bournemouth, they've kept hold of David Brooks. Easily Premier League quality. And you look at Norwich, they've kept hold of Emmy Buendia. Easily Premier League quality. These players should be playing Premier League football, but instead they're in the... It's increasing the standard of quality 100%. In the and we're seeing Massively. that. We are seeing that with the amount of international call-ups players are getting as well. The Championship has been... Where, where it hasn't been maybe 10 years ago, you're seeing a lot more players being called up for international duty, which again is probably leading on to the injury... Uh, situations which a lot of clubs are uh, experiencing at the minute because a lot of players are out on international duty as well as playing a heavy it's, it's not even necessarily for the first teams a lot of young championship talent again oh, yeah. called up for their respective countries and this is where like we were saying the other week the five sub rule and how that could benefit certain teams obviously in this case when we're talking about Cardiff having this strength and depth it's massively benefited them because they've been able to bring players of quality off of the bench. Like looking looking down their list, they bought Marlon Pack off the bench, they bought Robert Glatzel off the bench, and they bought Junior Hoyler off the bench, three of which are very good players. Obviously, they've also been able to bring on Gavin White and Josh Murphy, who, like you touched on, Josh Murphy's a very good player. He's proven that time and time again. I mean, even if you look at um kind of Huddersfield side of things, they've bought um, they've also utilized the substitutions very well in this game. They made they made all five of theirs. It's the same argument that we're gonna keep having as teams are able to utilize and really get grip on being able to use the five substitution rule. Obviously, it, we can't ignore the fact that there are injury crises going on at various say, Josh, um like it's it's a, it's a difficult subject to talk about, but with this five sub rule. It's really, it's obviously. Would you say it's making the championship more predictable? Because in the sense that the bigger teams in the championship, such as your Watfords, your Bournemouth, your Norwich, they're all going to be utilising the five sub rule and actually bringing quality off the bench when they have a fully fit squad. They're going to bring bring in very high quality off the bench. Whereas the Wickhams, um, your Coventrys, your Rotherhams aren't going to be bringing off the quality that the bigger clubs in the championship are. And do you think that will then make the championship a lot more of a predictable league than what it? is usually used to like we're used to seeing one outside to sneak into the playoffs to even get automatics and this season we're seeing you know three of the top three battling out for promotion at the minute uh, uh sorry three of the relegated teams all battling out for promotion at the minute and it's um yeah it's- i think for me the difference over previous years um the relegated teams this year have done very well to hold on to the core of their squads obviously you have had some notable instances um, where various players from squads have um, left obviously um, Watford have lost Gerard Delafoy he's gone out on loan to their um, kind of partner club Udinese um, you've had uh, Nathan Ake quite sub- um, quite a substantial transfer fee for him coming in from Bournemouth I mean I'm fairly sure you had a few um, yeah few Jamal Lewis free um, going out to Newcastle and Everton they're, yeah they're kind of your main two um, but looking at it it's it's going to be something I think that will come in um, towards the end of the season we'll see it a lot more obviously we've got the big chunk of games that we normally get through April and um, we're hitting the Christmas we're in the Christmas period now quite frankly teams having games coming thick and fast but 
Um, I know you obviously, Wickham was the um, first example that came to my head. They've not actually done that badly of late. Obviously, this rule is quite recently been introduced. They've actually only lost one of their last five. Yeah, it's a good point. There's levels here that different teams have got to try and get. And it is obviously going to be a bit harder for the teams that don't have as much money or don't have as much squad depth to be able to really try and compete with your teams, such as your Swansea's, your Norwich's, your Bournemouth's, your Watford's. And even I'd go as far as to say as your Cardiff's. Teams that have... And Brentford. I was more more going with what I said, teams that have recently come down from the Premier League, recently being within the kind of parachute payment window. Stoke as well then. In the last kind of few years. Well, yeah, even Stoke, but... Middlesbrough. um, There's loads. Not Middlesbrough aren't within the parachute payment window anymore. I don't think they are, but again, it's a big, you know, a bigger championship club. But anyway... Of course, no, I... I think we'll move on. It's an interesting one to sit with. But yeah, let's move move on on. to the other game. Um, And this was a shock result. Uh, Bournemouth at home losing 3-2 to Preston, who Preston do like to beat one of the bigger championship sides. I mean, again, are they a big championship side themselves? It's yet to see. They're always just outside the playoffs um, come the end of the season, uh, end of the last few seasons. Um, But they've beaten Brentford uh, 4-2. And now they've beaten... Bournemouth 3-2 after going 3-0 up. Um, goals from Barkhausen, uh, Sinclair and uh, Bauer. Um, again, 3-0 up, you're cruising. But then, you know, Bournemouth try and get it back uh, with goals from Stanislas and Surridge, but uh, it's all too little too late for Bournemouth. And I think Bournemouth over these past two games when they drew 2-2 to Rotherham and lost 3-2 to Preston, they, they, they've, they've had a few creaks uh, coming up really. Um, they've been shipping in a few goals, yet still scoring goals, but they are becoming a bit leaky at the back. Um, yeah, I think it's fair to say, and as you've kind of touched on before with the Championship being such kind of a competitive league, um, this is kind of seeming to be Bournemouth's first little wobble because you look at a lot of the teams up the top end, every team has had their little kind of dip in form, their little wobble that makes you kind of look at them and go, oh, is this the start of a downward spiral? And then they seem to pick it back up. Now, I think Bournemouth are very, very capable of obviously having this little slump as a, as a little blip. Um, quite frankly, I don't think anyone expected Preston to get a result out of this game. Um, and obviously, full credit to them for managing to do that. Um, in the game on the whole, obviously, Preston scored three goals. They scored three goals from eight shots, five of which were on target. Any team's got to be happy with that. I was literally being it's clinical going forward, quite frankly. They didn't exactly have all of the ball. Bournemouth at home, we've seen it before, normally control a game and make it their own and are very, very strong with it. And we've, we've seen that time and time again throughout the course of this season. They've been capable of causing some um, results that... Maybe at halftime you wouldn't you'd look at them and go, oh, that they shouldn't have won that game, or you'd look at them and go, oh, maybe they're lucky to get something out of that. And in this one, I think I did say it could have very much been the same. Um, even with Preston storming into this three 0 lead, obviously two of the goals did come after half time. Bournemouth did then obviously look very very convincing. Junior Stanislas scoring in the seventy first minute, followed by a triple sub from Bournemouth. Again showing how much strength they've got to be able to come off the bench. They nicked one in the 86th, and then after an elongated period of time due to Patrick Bauer's injury, um, they unfortunately weren't able to grab the equaliser or, of course, a winner. Preston did did what they needed to do, quite frankly, and I don't think there can be any faults by by and large. It's it's an interesting fact with Preston. They're a very exciting team. Like I was saying of Huddersfield, 
They ship in a lot of goals, but also can score some. Obviously, we saw it on the weekend, previous to that game, that they lost 4-1 to Watford, another side, obviously, battling for promotion. And um, they got absolutely battered in that game. There's no other way yeah, to put you got, it. They got absolutely, yeah, like you say, battered. And then they've come to Bournemouth, and you're just expecting the same thing to happen again. I think everyone's expecting Bournemouth to come away with all three points in this one. And, you know, you, they go 3-0 up, and it's, again, it's a complete, completely bizarre... Um, and I think it kind of retracts from what I said earlier. Is that is the championship becoming more predictable? Uh, but you know, Preston, after losing four one to Watford, go three 0 up at Bournemouth, and you know, like I say, maybe it isn't predictable, but maybe it is at the same. And then, but then to carry on with the surprise, and I know I keep referring to Saturday's games and the weekend fixtures that we've just had. So they've gone from losing four one to a team that's battling at the top end of the table, and then beaten another top end of the table team three two, and then they've gone and drawn two all with Wickham and actually they nicked they nicked a point quite late on through an own goal. I don't think that this is what we talk about when we say about a team being inconsistent. Getting battered by a team at the top, beating a team at the top, and then dropping points to a team that are realistically our favourite to to finish ball. three points. Especially especially the fact that um you've got you've got to look at the fact that they um, were at home as well. Exactly. I know, obviously, the, the fan argument is a bit of a difficult one with certain teams not having fans in, certain teams having fans in. By and large, the home argument goes, you're playing on your own pitch, you play on that pitch regularly enough, You your grounds people have control over that pitch. It's not one of them that you can kind of start blaming a little thing. At the end of the day, Preston needed to go out in that game and get the result, which they quite frankly didn't um, in the Wickham game. But that is me talking about the weekend. We're here to talk about how they've managed to beat Bournemouth. And again, that's another one that the result was not predictable, in my opinion. I don't think anyone would have seen that coming. 100%. And full, full credit for them for managing to pull that off. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll move on to the Wednesday game. And uh, I'll go with one that I picked. And again, it's featuring my team. It's our 3-1 loss to Luton away from home. And if I think we said this in uh, last week's podcast, I was not confident going into this game whatsoever. Uh, we obviously had a whole host of injuries. I think at the time we must have had about 12 first team players that were actually available for selection. Uh, our injury list is longer than a kid's Christmas list. Um, uh, and that is saying a lot. Get you have you been getting the Argos catalogue out at, um, at Norwich and circling all of the players you want to come back from injury and all of the people that you want to try and sign in January, considering you have an absolute plethora of money? And we've seen it in um, over the summer how much you were being able to get new players in. I mean, you bought some unbelievable talent over the summer. It's funny you say we bought unbelievable talent, we made about 10 signings, but we didn't spend more than 10 million. And if you look at the profit we made, we sold Jamal Lewis for 15 million and they sold Ben Godfrey for 25 million. You know, that's already. Uh, it's already 40 million there, and we've only spent 10 of that, so we still made good, good maths. Well done, yeah. You managed, you managed to nail that one. There we go, well done. But yeah, anyway, we'll go, on to, we'll go on to the actual game. Uh, Norwich played Marco Stephen up front, who three seasons ago was playing left back for Norwich. Um, Luton took the lead, uh, through Moncur. Norwich equalized for a penalty from Ebby Buendia not too long after. Another, another Norwich City penalty, another oh, yeah, one that. after oh. Mario Ranchich converted one at the weekend. Pearson managed to put, um, uh, Luton back on uh, winning ways uh, three minutes after Buendia scored and then Collins scored a penalty um, straight after half time. It was a bit controversial the penalty because we saw um, what I think it was Luke Derry I believe his name is Luke Berry I think I think it was Luke Berry Luke, uh, Luke Berry yeah jumping on the referee um, after he gave the penalty which initially um, 
is very contra- well the penalty itself was controversial and that's even more controversial you know <laughs> start slight hit a match fixing but um but yeah well no. it's being investigated i believe so it'll be interesting to see the outcome of that but i mean again like you said you weren't confident going into the game but what you've managed to do in the game you obviously did what you seem to do best and you dominated possession you dominated the ball um and you've really tried to make it hard for losing obviously they were both um the two penalties were probably obviously the biggest chances that each team had to convert. Um, Luton, quite frankly, took their chances better than Norwich. But like you said, that's to be expected with um, having a guy who used to play left back at striker. It's not easy in that respect um, from a Norwich side of things. And like you said, you're very injury stricken at the minute yeah. and it's always going to be that's quite also, hard. It's also the first the time. Um, it's the first time Norwich have conceded three goals in a game all season. Um, so defensively, they've been very solid this season, which we haven't seen in previous seasons with Norwich. You know, they've been very leaky. Even in that season, they won the league. They still conceded 60-odd goals. And this season, Norwich seems to be defensively assured. But, you know, we're, we're seeing that sort of... The, the cracks coming back in because of the injuries. You know, you're playing Jakob Sorensen at left-back, who is a CDM. You know, he's a centre-defensive midfielder. He's not a left-back. He's never played there before in his life before he came in. Um, and then you've got... Ben Gibson, Grant Hanley, two great centre-halves. But then you've got Max Ahrens, who in the weekend's game against Coventry got absolutely clattered. Well, I think he clattered someone, but came off worse um, than the other player. Um, and, you know, he was a doubt for the game. And he's, he, instead, he did start instead. But um, again, defensively, we just looked so lethargic. It was a very lethargic performance from Norwich. It was, uh, it was just miserable, really, uh, to watch. But... Um, but yeah, um, quite frankly, I don't think you can say. Uh, oh mean, no! Obviously, I'm, I, I leave. I leave you to talk about the Norwich thing, just because you know it a lot better than I do. But take nothing away from Luton in this game. And I mean, we've both sung their praises in games previously, and how they've managed to grind out results. They aren't the Luton team that a lot of pundits thought we were going to see this season, especially after last season. Um, they were definitely the heavily tipped team to go down last season. They pulled off the great escape. They managed to stay up. And I mean, I, quite frankly, as a football fan, I loved every second of it. Um, any team that you're seeing pull off um, what would be class is a great escape. Everyone's going to love it. Um, looking at them this season, if they look at their league position right now, they're nine points off the top, 11 points off the bottom. Yes, we're not yet halfway through the league season, but they cannot complain. Being set on 22 points, they are really doing themselves some justice here and take absolutely nothing away from them. They have done very, very well at executing game plans this year. And I think, quite frankly, that's exactly what we've seen here, is they've known exactly what they need to do, and they've done it perfectly. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of them. Um, it's a, it was obviously always, like you said, a difficult game for Norwich going into it. But Luton... Um, of one of them teams, they this season have made themselves one of those teams. Yeah, no, but look, um, I think the thing is with Luton, I think we've, we've seen when Nathan Jones come in, the side's been completely, they've completely changed their form. And um, it's been refreshing to see, you know, a side that um, we've tipped to go down um, in their first season, stayed up brilliantly. We've tipped to go down in their second season. They've actually now said, you know, hang on, we're putting our name on the championship. We we're making sure that we're going to be a championship club. And do you know what? At the start of the season, when we saw them winning games and, you know, becoming top of the league for after the first three games, we were all fearing for a minute, oh, hang on, are Luton going to go to the Premier League? Because they just seem to 
just have this style about them that you don't see very often. They've got a very good manager behind them. And I mean, obviously, like we have, uh, like there's been kind of the theme of this midweek. Um, a lot of the teams up the top did actually have a wobble over this midweek period. And that's um, what I'm actually going to talk about going into my next, um, going for the next game. And it's really ironic. And I do apologise, but I'm going to pick Sheffield. Wednesday uh, with Reading. Um, I don't want to hound on about this one too much um, in terms of a Reading perspective. I think there's a lot more kind of from an outside point that you need to look at for this game. And I think it's um, in this game, Chef. Yeah, for me, this this game there was a lot of very questionable refereeing, um, and that's obviously something that I think needs to be sorted in the championship. We've seen it week after week, um, game after game. There are so many dodgy decisions being given. Now, okay, we get that there's human error. And obviously we do, we have seen that the technology is available in the video assistant referees that have been implemented across Europe and it's notably in the Premier League. I don't think that they've got the technology being utilised correctly. Therefore, it is very much a toss-up. Would you rather correct decisions being made or would you rather the game have the heart and soul like we see in the second tier? Obviously, in this game, um, Reading very much the dominant side and quite frankly showed why they are where they are. Um, that probably was more as a result of the fact that Liam Shaw um, managed to get himself sent off. Again, seemingly... Uh, not in my eyes, but seemingly it was quite a controversial sending off. I thought it was personally um, a red card, but you always would when it's against your own club. But it was, a, in my eyes, a studs-up tackle. Yes, he won the ball. However, it was more the follow-through, the studs-up motion, the scissoring round that um, the referee, Oliver Langford, at the time decided, you know what, that's enough to give a red card. Um, moving into the second half, um, they've done exactly what they needed to do. They'd um, held us to a draw at half-time despite playing 15 minutes of the first half with 10 men and they've sat back they've sat back and defended like absolute warriors putting players behind the ball men literally giving their all I mean Callum Patterson who quite frankly is a striker he's his defensive work in that game cannot be ignored he was nothing short of excellent now the main thing that I said that I wanted to touch on, there were two things for this game. The first thing I'm going to talk about is the refereeing standard. Um, Reading had four penalty shouts in the game. I think two of them were Stonewall, one of which Adam Reach literally caught the ball on the goal line from a Josh Lawrence chance. And the other one was earlier in the game, Omar Richards threw on goal, taken down, um, referee choosing to award a Sheffield Wednesday free kick for that one. Now, there are so many, as we see week by week, it's, it's a very hard topic to talk about refereeing. But we do obviously see referees come under a lot of scrutiny when they do things wrong. Now, the argument being in this game, and it's, again, a very controversial topic. Do you think referees have that subconscious thought that um, if they give a wrong decision, they need to equal it out? Because that's something that could have happened in this game. And it's something that we've seen as a potential opinion that's happened in other games. I mean... Um, yes, we struggle in terms of actual refereeing quality, um, but it's always hard. And at the end of the day, they are human beings. They can't see everything and they can't always get the decisions correct, which is where we look at the fact that we've got modern technology available. How can we utilise it? The revolutionary technology of goal line um, coming in through Hawkeye. Incredible. And it's actually helped the game for the better because it stopped things, the legitimate goals that have been scored 
not being given. I mean, how have you? What what refereeing kind of opinion do you have of the championship so far this season? Obviously, you're used to coming from the Premier League with VAR, and how does it seem for you? It's with football as a whole for me, um, and I think if you look over the past ten to fifteen years, refereeing is the only part of the football game which hasn't been technologically improved to a mass. Um, like refereeing, you know, we've only had just had VAR come in, we've had goal line technology come in five, six, seven years ago. Um, but apart from that, VAR has been very dodgy; it hasn't really worked uh, as we've seen. Um, will it work in the championship? God, no. Championship's got so many difficult decisions compared to the Premier League. Um, the Premier League, yeah, it's got more eyes watching it, but the championship, if you look at some of the decisions you've got to make, um, yeah, it's a lot It's a lot more difficult. It's not an easy league to referee at all. Oh, no, 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 no by any means it's not. And I think, again, we do have to ref- remember that referees are human, but there is there is a standard of refereeing you've got to keep and you can't make mistakes like that. Like when it's a very obvious penalty and two obvious penalties, when it's handball on the line, you know what I mean? You've got you've got an assistant referee, you've got a fourth official, you've got a referee in the middle. At least one of them will be able to see it's a handball. If it's that obvious, um, one of them's got to see. And it's yeah, and I mean, it's, it's especially error. a decision like this, how late on in the game this was. And I'm not obviously I'm not highlighting that this is the only time that we've seen that over the course of this season. There, of course, have been other moments where teams would have feel felt aggrieved over a decision, be it a red card, be it even a yellow card, a foul given against them, an offside decision that was missed. People always feel aggrieved on things not going their way. But the manner of this and how late the ball was blocked by Adam Reach on the line, quite frankly, it robbed Reading of the opportunity to claim all three points. The argument being they still should have done it anyway in normal time. They were playing against 10 men for a whole hour of that game. Um, and that does take me on to what the other thing I wanted to talk about. Obviously, Tony Pulis has taken the helmet Sheffield Wednesday. And quite frankly, he's shown why he's such a, a successful manager um, in certain areas. He knows how to discipline his team. He knows how to set up a shape. And he knows how to get them to work hard for the team. Oh, 100%. Tony Pulis is a top quality manager at this level. Um, he loves to wear the club shop as well, which uh, you know everyone loves to see. But no, he's a, he's a very, very good manager in the sense of he's very disciplined. Well, the way how he puts out his team is very disciplined. They've got a task and they're willing to go out and do that task. Yes, they may not have a lot of the ball. And yes, they're going to have very few chances. But the fact is they buy into his philosophy and they buy into his game plan and they make it work on, on occasions. And again, obviously against Reading, aside, you know, battling for promotion. I think you've got to admit it now, you're battling for promotion. Um Against I'll team. admit it once we're over 35 games in. Well, I'm, I'm going to say it myself then. Um, but All right, um, you do that. I don't want to jinx it. But yeah, um, and to see out a game plan and get a draw is, is a good result for them. But anyway, we'll quickly just, um, we're just going to run through, just tell you the rest of the scores from the Tuesday, Wednesday games in case you had missed them and did want to know. And we'll, and we'll, dip, we'll dip a little opinion onto each game, I think. 100%. We've got very rapid fire through. Very, this. very rapid. This. Yeah, so Josh, do you want to start us off? Uh, all right, I'll start us off then. Um, so the first one that I've got um, from the Tuesday games, so Derby drew one all at home to Coventry. Uh, two very late goals in this game. Um, I think that's a solid point for both teams. I think they would have rather have gained one point other than dropped all three. And the guy who you sang the praises for, Hamer, scored the equaliser for Coventry. 
He's, he seems to be really making this league his own this year. And I do think that if Coventry um, don't manage to survive this season, he could find himself getting a deal to another championship club very easily. Anyway, moving on to the next result. Birmingham losing 2-1 to Barnsley. Barnsley maybe becoming a side to be feared this season. They do like to pick up maybe the odd win now and then. They're now becoming a mid-table side. And me and Josh and Bo happily admit we had, we thought Barnsley were going to be you know near enough rock bottom, relegated back to League One. We didn't see them standing a chance of survival, but they've really turned things around and started to become a side that are to be fit in the championship. They can score goals and they can get... Like we said with Luton, they're doing very, very well to um, seem to defy odds of the, that people are chucked against and they're defying all of this adversity and they're doing very well and there's no point in ignoring that. Um, the next game that I've got to highlight is Queen Park Rangers uh, slumping to a 2-1 defeat at home against Bristol City. Bristol City obviously coming off the back of losing at the weekend to Reading um, have managed to, well, quite frankly, um, stole the game in this one. I don't think by looking at the stats, they really deserved it at all. Um, and this is a testament to what we've said about QPR in the past, that they um, seem to be really struggling this season. Um, and we don't know why. They had a majority of the ball in this one to QPR. They had more shots, more chances, and they just didn't convert. Well, Bristol City um, back ultimately, to Wellens, going back to winning ways after that loss against Reading previous weekend. Indeed they were. And yeah, like we say, it's a matter of kind of Teams needing to find their balance. QPR haven't found that balance this season. Um, but I'll let you take on to the next yes, um, the final, final game, Tuesday night game. Yes, the final game, Rotherham-Brentford. Ten-man Rotherham lost 2-0 to Brentford. Ivan Tony getting the goal and assist in this game as he carries on his, uh, his march into the championship where he is taking it with... You know, he's taking his chance with both hands and he's absolutely thriving on it and he's absolutely loving his life here. Top goal scorer in the championship still this season. Uh, Rotherham, who got that 2-2 draw against Bournemouth, struggled in this one. I'm guessing going down to 10 men for them was difficult and facing such a prowess going forward in Ivan Tony is always going to be... He, a, he is a cracking player, isn't cracking he? Player. He is it's always going to be player. difficult dealing with him. Uh, but anyway, I'll go That's on to the, the Wednesday games, Josh, if you want to take us through. Yeah, so the first one that I've got for the Wednesday games, Middlesbrough really kind of putting the brakes on for Swansea, uh, beating them 2-1 at home. Uh, Swansea, very good defensively, so I'm actually quite surprised to have seen them concede two goals, um, and that administered them that only their third loss of the season. Um, before this game, Swansea had, had only conceded eight goals. Um, they've now well, they're quite frankly, they've got the best defensive record in the league. They've only conceded 10 so far in the 16 games. So, again, a bit of a shock result um, and goes on to my point about how the teams at the top were dropping points. But take nothing away from Middlesbrough. We said that they're a very hard team to beat um, and Duncan Watmore got a brace in that one. And we're going to move on to the next game. Blackburn beating Millwall 2-1. Blackburn carrying their rise. Well, I mean, we've said at the start of the season, we thought they'd definitely be, they'd be a dark horse for the playoffs. They still are. They still know how to score goals. Obviously, Adam Armstrong, Harvey Elliott, uh, Tyrese Dolan and players like that do know how to score goals. Um, and they are picking up wins here and there. And obviously, they picked up a win against a Millwall side who aren't the easiest team to beat by any stretch of the margin. So it's a good win for Blackburn. Yeah, very good win for Blackburn in that. And obviously Millwall um, kind of having that knocked out of them a little bit, especially considering um, how they've kind of shown themselves so far this season. They've had times where they've looked quite good, but right now they are not on a good run of form at all. But, um, 
they keep they're drawing a lot of games so they are still kicking the points up but quite frankly they're not being able to grind out results and ultimately do what every team wants to do which is win games um but Let's move on now to struggling team, Nottingham Forest hosting High Flyers Watford. So going into this game, you think, right, OK, Premier League outfit of last season, Watford, doing very well this season, scoring goals, just coming off and um, beating Preston 4-1 against a team of Nottingham Forest who are struggling to score, not able to get results. Um, you'd expect a Watford whitewash, right? No, you'd be wrong. It was a nil-nil, one shot on target. I don't think I'm going to say anything more on that because that's as much as that game deserved. Yeah, I, I mean, if I was watching that, I'd fall asleep. But anyway, we'll move on to the next game. I, I very nearly did because that was my that was one of my choices to keep an eye on as well on the Wednesday. Well, what a poor choice you made. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> Stoke beating Wickham 1-0. Um, and this was obviously Wickham's only loss in their past five games. Um, uh, and Stoke, again, they are proving to be a very, very decent, decent outfit this season. Really are. Um, really are going to go yeah, out and beat teams. They've propelled, they've propelled themselves into the top six as it stands. Obviously, that yeah. does take into account the weekend's results just gone. Um, but they are one of the very few teams that have actually managed to win half of their games so far this season. They've won eight of the eight of sixteen, um, and like you said, they have got threats going forward, having scored twenty three goals in that time. Um, I think they've done very well in this game, also to keep a clean sheet. Um, I don't think they really put a, put a foot wrong. And quite frankly, they probably could have had more. But like we said previously, Wickham do know how to defend. And um, in this one, they did actually have fans back. Um, and I remember seeing something during the week, Gareth Ainsworth came out and he made a statement. And he said about how, obviously, bear in mind, this is the first time Wickham fans have been able to see their club compete in a championship fixture. Um, he said that even when a ball went out for a throw-in and their team had won that throw-in, the roar from the fans felt like they just scored a goal. That's what I think fans bring to football. It's brilliant to see and I absolutely love it. Um, the passion that goes into it, the pure love and the absolute desire of teams want, um, having fans being wanting to get behind them and spur them on to do better. It's brilliant to see, but obviously, unfortunately, they did slump to that defeat, like we say. Well, just going um, on to the subject of fans. Just going on to the subject of fans. And I wasn't at the Norwich game on Saturday uh, where we played Sheffield Wednesday. But there was a video from the game and you see our owners, Michael Wynne-Jones and Delia Smith, going over to the fans and applauding them. You know, they're back after all this time. And, you know, just someone starts on the Bull City and everyone sings it. All 2,000 fans. And it sounds like 27,000 fans are there. And it's just amazing to hear, you know, after all this time, fans have still got the energy and still got the love in them to support their team. Even though there's only 2,000 there, there's so many restrictions in place and they're still supporting their team and still singing and still cheering them on. Um, and it's just refreshing to see. And it, I think it just shows us and it proves to us football fans that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I think for anyone that is able to go to games um, that may be missing football and it may be affecting their mental health. I know it's such an important thing going to football for some people and it really does you know, bring them that 90 minutes or what, that day that they're just forgetting everything in their life and just, you know, enjoying themselves. And I think we're now seeing that day finally returning. And I think that's what's really pleasing to see. Indeed it is. I mean, um, we, we, we've already seen it and we've had fans back in for a matter of two game weeks. Um, well, one and a half realistically, because actually half of the midweek games you weren't allowed fans in because they'd missed the cast off by a day. Um, 
but it's going to be something we're going to really enjoy seeing and hopefully as more fans are allowed back in we can get closer to, to back to the full crowds and at the point that we do get full crowds I know for a fact that people are never going to take that for granted again because it's something that I've definitely missed not that I get to see full crowds at Reading because obviously we've only got 10 fans and we all eat tea and crumpets supposedly don't know where that stereotypes come from but hey I'm going to take it and carry on um, bantering myself off because apparently, like we say, and I keep getting reminded Reading apparently have no fans, which I disagree with. But hey, um, let's move on now to the weekend. We're going to, I think we've we'll got three through games these. from Saturday. Uh, we'll, we'll smash go, through them. Exactly we'll go, for, we'll go with we'll the Friday game feature. as well. I think we'll go with the Friday game as well. Uh, I want to touch yeah. on that one uh, because that's a huge win. Obviously, we've seen Bournemouth have their, their small banana slip. Um Drawing to Rotherham, again, unexpected. Losing to Preston at home, unexpected. But they've come out the blocks and have gone to Barnsley. A Barnsley side who did win midweek. And obviously, I've said they're a difficult team to beat. And Bournemouth have proved why they are a Premier League quality side and why they are going to be very, very good contenders to go up to the Premier League. Um, and to be honest with you, mate, it's, it's, a, it's a thumping, thumping victory. It is. I mean, I think any game that has three or uh, a three or more goal margin normally is considered a bit of a thumping. Um, again, just to go off of the fact that obviously Bournemouth had been in that kind of little slump of form, not necessarily one that was um, kind of expected, but nonetheless, obviously one that was very well would be very well welcomed by all of the Bournemouth fans. Um, it's never easy being in a little bit of a slump to then come out of that, but they've jumped out of it brilliantly and they've executed exactly what they needed to do. They've done their work, they've done the hard bit, and obviously that's um, come and shown up here in the fact that they've managed to get a 4-0 win in this game. But I don't think you can take anything away from Barnsley and I think they'll look at it and go, OK, they are realistically a better team than us. As a lot of teams that will play Bournemouth this season will say, um, does uh, it does obviously leave Barnsley slipping a little bit closer to the bottom. However, they are still eight points clear of that bottom three, which is ultimately what they're aiming to do for this season, is see how close they can get to the top six and how far away from the bottom three they can get, as a lot of teams will ultimately aim to do. Um, I don't think Bournemouth really put much of a foot wrong in this game. Um, and quite frankly, being able to deliver a 4-0, especially away from home, is never easy. 100%, mate. 100% agree. Um, and we'll move on to the Saturday games now, mate. Um, so, so we'll take, we'll take, one, we'll take one, of the, one each. Go on, one each. Um, so I'm getting, this, I want to I I make you pick because this, I think for me, there are two that I would pick as a standout. We'll obviously touch on the rest of them like we've just done, but this is where I'm really going to test how in sync we are. See, so the two that I'd personally go with, um, I, we'll, we'll see if we get the right. You know, we've got we're on the same wavelength. But the two that I'd go with are Preston Wickham. Would you go with okay, the same? Yeah, yeah. And uh, then the other they one weren't one of my thoughts, but they were third. If we were doing three, they'd be the third one. Okay, the they were two um, higher up there. And Bristol City, Birmingham, for me. So I not <laughs> um, ironically, I didn't pick either of them. I picked uh, Millwall losing 1-0 to Derby and Coventry beating Rotherham 3-1. Um, you know what? Let's lead with... Oh, yeah, Millwall. We'll go with all four of these and we'll and we'll go through all of these and we'll come to Millwall last. Yeah, we've got two um, different ones each. I'll let, yeah, 
take take your take away with your first one then. Um, so I'm going to go on to Preston versus Wickham. Um, and like we said previously in this podcast, that Preston were very lucky to come away with even a point in this game after beating, you know, one of the high flyers in the league, Bournemouth 3-2. Um, you'd think that Preston, you know, they'll probably come away with us comfortably. But this is a Wickham side that had lost midweek, but still are playing very well and are being very they're very difficult to beat. And I think me and you can both say that because we've both played. And yes, we, yes, we beat them, but we only just beat them. For us, it took a 91st minute free kick from Mario Vrancic. Um, I can't remember what it took for you guys, but again, you only just beat them. A uh, long ball from the goalkeeper and a spark of brilliance from Lucas Chow. Again, so, it's, so, many times this so again, for both very of us, fine margins. Yeah, very fine margins and both took us a bit of excellence to beat Wickham. So they aren't, they aren't any mugs in this league. And we're clearly seeing this here. Um, Preston having to... Uh, find a bit of luck with a late McCarthy own goal. Um, I think Wickham will be very hard done by, um, you know, to go to Deepdale, a difficult place to go to in this league, obviously, as we both know. And to actually pick up a point, they'll be very happy with, uh, but they'll be a bit downhearted by it, but because they could have picked up all three. They were 2-0 until the They, they quite frankly did deserve, they deserved all three. Um, I mean, I don't know what you've kind of seen of this game, but they had chances to score. They hit the woodwork in this game and it kind of has been a bit of a fairy tale of their season. Um, they have only scored nine goals all season. Obviously, two of them did come in this game, but in front of goal, they are not being clinical enough, quite frankly. Um, that's ultimately how you win a football game. As but much as they... This, yes, they haven't been clinical in previous games, but are they now starting to turn a page? Because going to deep down, scoring two goals away from home, for a Wickham side that we all th- thought they were going to finish bottom, isn't bad going. I mean, yes, like you said, they've had chances they could have scored more, but I still think to score two away at deep down isn't, isn't bad at all. No, it's not. I mean, if you look at the kind of... I'll call it the front five that they started in this game. Uh, Fred Onyedimma, Gareth McCleary, Daryl Horgan, Adebayo Akinfenwa, of course, household name, everyone knows who Adebayo Akinfenwa is, and Scott Cashkit. Two of those actually scored the goals in. Gareth McCleary, who they signed on a free, um, and Scott Cashkit also um, being able to bag for Wickham. Now, I know we talk about them um, and how they're able to... Not they've not really been able to score, but this in this game as well, they have kind of conceded. We've said that they've been quite hard to break down at times, but ultimately they have conceded two in this game. Um, it's not one of the worst kind of thumpings that they've had because, quite frankly, in a few of their games, they've been turned over a little bit at times. Um, notably, I think you look at the Blackburn game from earlier in the season, they had five put past them. Other than that, realistically, they've only really been conceding one or two goals in games. But they, so they've really, they have proven that they can be tight defensively. But at times, they really do have some weaknesses that teams are able to exploit. And ultimately, I don't know what you can really put that down to because they've got a great unit there at Wickham, and they've got a great manager who really knows how to get them going. Um, but obviously, full credit to Preston for getting themselves back into this game. And they have proven why they and that they've got that quality in their team and why they were actually able to pull off the result they did against Bournemouth. 100%. 100%. Um, but yeah, good result for Wickham. Um, they would have wanted all three points um, after seeing how the game turned out. Preston will... Again, I've wanted all three points before the game, but I'll be happy with a point 
how, after how they've seen the game turn out. Anyway, we'll move on to the next game I chose, which was Bristol City against Birmingham, which ended 1-0 to Birmingham City. Harley Dean, the centre-half, getting the goal with 10 minutes before the end of the game. Um, a shock result, obviously, Bristol City going back to winning ways in midweek after losing to Reading the previous weekend, then slipped up again to at home to a Birmingham side who are just, just very, I don't know, just not... They've, they've been a bit mediocre, quite frankly. Yeah, this and I mean, that's, that's probably going to come back to bite me at some point. Um, obviously, they signed the former Barcelona starlet, Alan Helilevich, who came off the bench to make his debut for the side in this one. But if you look at Birmingham so far this season, they've played 16 games, winning four of them. They scored 12 goals and conceded 14. They're very strong going forward. They seem to be very strong at the back, obviously scoring less than a goal a game, but also conceding less than a goal a game, which is quite frankly what again, happened. Again, this being the snore fest of the, of the championship. Um, but again, Bristol City, this, they should be really disappointed in that because they want to be, like we said, they had that previous blip. They kind of turned it around, but now they're looking to have another blip. If they want to be tight, well, promotion challenges, playoff challenges for this season, you can't afford to have too many blips in your season um, because the more it happens, the more you drop points and the more, the t- more uh, points the teams around you pick up. Um, uh, but Birmingham will be very happy with this. Obviously, they're at the minute, they're very mid-table-esque um, and for them, it'd be three points either to maybe push them as a bit of a dark horse to the playoffs or to keep them in this division. Uh, personally, for me, they've got a very good side of individuals. Maybe as a team, they're not really... I don't know, gelling maybe, but at the same time, Birmingham would be very happy to go to Ashton, uh, Ashton Gate and uh, pick up all three points. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let you know how the Birmingham side does after I go and um, watch them on Wednesday because that being my first game back. Ironically, my last game before lockdown, actually one that you came to as well, yep. um, was away at St Andrews. The team that I'm going to be seeing play next is Birmingham as well. I seem to have an obsession with going and watching Birmingham, apparently. Well, Don't know exciting, how that quite works. But, exciting teams in the championship. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, I'll let you know how they play. Um, but moving on anyways to the first of my picks, we're going to go with Coventry beating Rotherham 3-1. Quite frankly, this is a six-pointer down the bottom of the league. It's early doors in the league to be calling it a six-pointer. But the fact that Coventry have gone 3-0 up in this game, um, they were very commanding. They took chances when they when it came their way. And realistically, they could have had more. Oh, 100%. Um, and a player that stands out for me in this game is Tyler Walker. Uh, was a Nottingham Forest Academy product. Um, didn't quite make it there. Has gone down the leagues and is now with Coventry. Scoring and getting assists in this game. Um, you know, it, again, he looks like a very, very sharp striker. And I think for teams down the bottom, you need a goal scorer. It's the same in every single division. If you want to stay up, you need someone who can score you goals because goals are going to be the way you keep up. Because as the teams are down the bottom of the table, you are going to concede goals. It's going to happen. You haven't got the you haven't got the greatest players in the league um, compared to other teams. So you need a striker who can score you goals. And Tyler Walker seems to be that guy for Coventry as well as Biamu. Um, but Tyler Walker is going to be the one that I highlight because he's also got an assist in this game. Um, but yeah, the huge of Coventry is going three and up, scoring two goals um, before the fifteen minute mark. Um, and then an own goal from Smith, uh, pretty much securing that the three points. Uh, but uh, a late Barlaza um, penalty for um, Rotherham in the 85th minute really didn't 
yeah, just didn't really do a lot, did it? Yeah, it was a consolation. Just stopped Coventry getting a clean sheet, which I'm guessing they probably would have wanted. But at the end, and it was also it was actually also Rotherham's only shot on target in the whole game. Um, and like you said, if you need to be, if you're picking up points, you need to quite frankly be scoring goals. Coventry did in this game. Rotherham failed to do that. I don't think results is it, um, doesn't it? But yeah, I think on really a Rotherham perspective, um, they'll be very disappointed with this. Um, you know, we're looking last weekend, we were singing their praises, singing Paul Warren's praises. They've just drawn 2-2 to, you know, Bournemouth and Bournemouth speak, speak for themselves about how good they are in this division. Um, they go lose 2-0 to Brentford. Again, it's an expected result because Brentford are Brentford. They've got a very good attacking prowess in Ivan Tony, uh, and Rotherham were down to 10 men. But in this game, you're looking at it like, you know, it's a relegation six-pointer. You've got to be up for it. If you're Paul Warren, you need to motivate your players and tell them they've got to be up for it because, you know, these two sides will most likely be down they come the end of the season. And, I mean, I'd back Rotherham to survive over Coventry, but looking at how this game went, I don't really know because just Rotherham just didn't seem to turn up at all. No, and um, you look at the kind of generic outcome of the game and that is actually Rotherham's ninth defeat of the season. Um, it's really not great to being about being having to say that realistically. Any any team who would look at this and saying that um, they've already lost nine games in sixteen, it's not great form at all. And now it does um, actually create a bit of breathing space, so to speak, between your teams such as Coventry, Queens Park Rangers, Barnsley, and Birmingham that are kind of towards the bottom end of um, the kind of mid table aspect that um, when looking at the table itself but going into this you kind of have got to look at it and go right as you've said both teams have got to be up for it one team clearly was more up for it than the other i don't think there's going to be much more that um they can kind of do what's happened happened but the manager management are going to have to look at both sets from both sides Coventry are going to look at this and go, right, we've turned up, we've done what we needed to do, let's maintain that and carry on kicking on now. Rotherham are going to look at it and go, right, okay, we've not done what we needed to do in this game, we need to turn it around next game, which, quite frankly, they've not got a choice in doing, but they've got a very tough tie to be doing it with. Anyway, we'll move on to the next game, Josh, Um, and your next game was Millwall versus Derby, which we saw Derby only for the second time this season getting three points. Looks like Wayne Rooney might have turned them around here. Um, Millwall, Who did they beat in their first in their first win? Who did they beat? Was that was was that Norwich City by any chance? You know, top of the league, Norwich City losing to Derby, who are one of the worst performing teams in the league. Oh, we're still top of the league, so. <laughs> oh, I can't wait until you get knocked off that pedestal. But anyways, enough <laughs> about me roasting you or you trying to rip into me. Let's talk about the football. Quite frankly, um, Derby will be over the moon with being able to finally pick up another three points. Millwall, their second defeat in as many games, only their fourth defeat of the season, however. Um, they need to be very careful that they don't slip off because obviously it's been a while since they've actually picked up a win. They're very good at drawing games. But they can't seem to be able to win one. Um, Derby, however, obviously this does kind of keep them in touch with everyone um, that is kind of hovering just above the bottom three. And it also does lift them off the bottom of the table after they have now climbed above Sheffield Wednesday, obviously with that point deduction that they've got from the EFL. Um Realistically, in this game, you, I've kind of looked at the stats 
and teams didn't really have a great deal of chance. So I'd say each team probably only had one chance to snatch the game. And Derby took theirs. And I think that if you, if because obviously they're they're now one of the favourites to go down because of everything that's happened with the club. If they want to stay up. That, that one chance that they might get in a game that can get them all the three points, they've got to take it. And in this game, they did. Um, and, you know, Derby will be over the moon with that. Mill will, will be really, really disappointed with that. Obviously, they want to go get all three points, especially at home against a side like Derby. Uh, they were favourites to win and obviously didn't back it up. But going off a... We're not going to... We'll talk off the pitch sort of side. Um, obviously, we saw some some really, really horrible scenes at Millwall. Uh, where you had fans booing um, players taking the knee, um, which isn't on. Um, you know, racism of any kind in football. Not in my eyes, no. Yeah, racism in any kind or in any world it just shouldn't happen. Racism shouldn't be a part of this game, and players are taking a stand. Shouldn't be a part of society at all. I at mean, hundred percent. Yeah. And um, it's it's a horrible thing to see, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Um, players taking a stand for the it. The thing well. to note. The thing to note, Millwall weren't the only team that suffered from this. Um, there was a big thing that happened. It was a, it was a thing that Colchester United, who play their football in League Two, um, a few players have come out about that. And likewise, from this Millwall game, they've actually had um, yeah. some kind of statements made from players. What I, mean, I find no, really notably, really, yeah. But sorry, what, what I notably find really... Marlon Romeo came out. Uh, sorry, what I find really I think there's a bit of line delay. My apologies. Um, yeah, what I, I find re- what I find really annoying about this is that players are taking a stand for racism to stop them getting, um, you know, abuse. Like p- people that have suffered with racism. And what I read something on Anf- on uh, Anfield uh, on the stadium that was put out the other day uh, was something that like the lockdown, playing football over lockdown for some players was peace. Um, and it was regarding racism. You know, some players didn't have to deal with fans giving them racism, racist abuse. And for them, it was peace. And we need to make sure they can have that peace, but still have the noise of fans there and the support of fans. And the fact that we've come back to football within the first two game weeks and with the first game at the Den, we're seeing fans booing players taking a stand against racism. And for me, that is, that's disgusting to see. Yeah, it's a very, very um, controversial one, obviously, to talk about by any medium. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. However, my opinion stands that racism should not be prevalent in any kind Agreed. of society. And people are using taking the knee as their kind of stand against racism for equality. Um, obviously, like I was saying, Marla Romeo came out after this game and made a statement about how he felt personally attacked that his own fans were choosing to boo against something that means so much to him personally. We've seen players from other teams do it as well. Like I was saying with the um, the Colchester incident, Robbie Cowling, the owner of Colchester United, um, has actually said that anyone who chooses to boo at Colchester United is quite frankly not welcome at the club um, fans-wise and has actually offered to refund anyone's season tickets or ticket prices that they have paid um, if they don't agree with what he said. So there are steps being taken. Um, I've not seen anything that Millwall have made, but there are steps being taken against the fans that have chosen to um, cause uproar against the um, the choice that the players are making. Ultimately, players don't have to do it. 
they're choosing to do it because they believe that equality is needed. They're doing it for themselves. They're doing it for their colleagues. And ultimately, they want that equality in the sport. Likewise, um, the argument is that everyone who chooses to boo is doing it on their own opinion. However, it is quite frankly not welcome. And I think a lot of people have demonstrated that now. Agreed, agreed. Very, uh, very well spoken, Josh. Anyway, we're going to move on to... Um the rest of Saturday's games and just quickly run through those and then we'll go through our predictions and then we'll wrap the podcast up. Um, so starting off, obviously, with the early kickoff, Josh, Reading beating Nottingham Forest 2-0 um, at home. A very, very solid win. Obviously, Yates got sent off in the 15th minute. I believe that was for handball, wasn't it, on the line? Yeah, he he, decided, um, he turned into Bryce Sandler pretty much. So Bryce Sandler had a bit of a clangor. Um, decided to punch the ball into young defender Tom Holmes's head as he was attacking it. The ball's then looped up over Samba. Tom Holmes is following it in um, and Yates has then decided to punch the ball off the line. Um, a very strange decision to do in, to do that in the 15th minute, quite frankly, when the game was nil-nil as well. He's just hampered his team a bit more and it did really give Reading a nice scruff on the game. Um, one thing that I would like to point, I know we've spoken quite negatively a lot about things um, and I know I am picking something else up on Reading. Um, they have rainbow-coloured nets up for this game, obviously this being the weekend where they support the LGBTQ plus community. Um, the sponsor has changed from the normal kind of purpley font on the home kit, put in a rainbow font. And sponsors Kasumo actually made a gesture in this game where they said that they would donate a hundred pounds um, to involve it, um, to various charities that look at community involvement um, for every goal that Reading scored, and then for every pass that Reading completed in that game, they would also donate. I believe it was an extra ten pounds. In that game, they managed to rack up a sum of nearly five and a half thousand pounds. Um, so either Ryan Yates was trying to turn into a goalkeeper, or he just wanted um, a lot of money to be donated to charity. Either way um yeah helps ready to take that game. <laughs> yeah um, exactly yeah good win for move Reading. on and we'll talk about your team next yeah we're going to norwich dress sheffield wednesday uh sheffield wednesday took the lead in this game uh in just uh, on the hour mark with a um with a cross coming from adam reach reaching um uh, josh windass's head uh, a beautiful cross and a beautiful header we as well there. um yeah that was a poor pun poor pun yeah, all right. Um, don't 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 quit the day job, mate. Don't quit honestly. the day. Yeah, um, reaches cross reaching when that's his head. If we all missed that, um, but anyway, uh, I repeat it. Oh, sorry, sorry, just I'm killing the joke now. Um, just like Norwich killed off the game, actually. Um, so come the come the 80th minute with 10 minutes left to go, Mario Vrancic turns into prime Andrea Pirlo. Um, some would say he's better than Pirlo. Um, I don't think anyone has ever said that. Apart from you. <laughs> no, um, but no, Mario. Mario you're the Vrancic. first and probably the last person to say that. Yeah, uh, Mario Vrancic was absolutely instrumental for both goals, getting two incredible assists. The first being a lovely cut-free pass through the through the legs of a Sheffield Wednesday defender, feeding in 18-year-old Josh Martin to get his first uh, goal, uh, professional goal for Norwich City. Um, really interesting how Josh Martin has grown up. Um, of last year, um, you know, he's scoring a hat trick for the under 18s in the FA Youth Cup, and now he's scoring goals in the first team for Norwich. So, big, big step up for him. And then, we'll, uh, then on to the Max Aaron's goal. Max Aaron's some lovely footwork down the right hand side, feeding it down the line to uh, Mario Vrancic, who 
nicely back heels it back into the path of Max Aarons, who uh, finishes it off a very, very nice give and go there and gave Norwich all three points. And uh, one thing that Daniel Farker did say regarding fans, you know, those fans, those 2,000 fans there stirred him on to victory. Um, and we then just see how important fans are at football to, to steer on teams to, uh, to get wins. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on Indeed. to the next game. Yeah, so I've got that one as Blackburn, uh, 10-man Blackburn, getting a point away from home at Brentford. Um, Ivan Tony found himself on the score sheet again after um, a penalty was awarded for a last-man tackle from Darrell Lane. Um, Blackburn went one up in this game. They then um, obviously suffered the setback of the red card, went 1-0 down. Um, well, they conceded the goal from a resulting penalty. It was one all. My apologies. Uh, they then went two one up. Um, did Brentford in this game? They made four substitutions. Um, not too long after the goal, um, and then conceded a late, late equaliser from Jacob Davenport. Um, realistically. Blackburn have done very well to get something out of this game, considering they had two shots on target and were reduced to 10 men very early on. Um, this isn't quite the Brentford that we used to see, but nonetheless, Blackburn have proven they can score goals, so it might be it might have been expected by some. Um, I'll let you move on and talk about the next game, yes, which I've got as game... Huddersfield against QPR. Wow, shock, sir. Right. Um, and uh, I think the main highlight is this, is one of the goals in this game um, from uh, Karoma. In the third minute, um, a bit of a solo, you know, he's just running up the pitch, solo effort sort of thing. And you think maybe he's going to pass it off to another player. No, from 25 yards out, he curls it into the top corner so effortlessly. And it, it really is, really is a beautiful goal. And one of the goals of the season contenders so far. Uh, and another bit... Agree, yeah. Another bit of Karoma gets an assist as well in this game. Um, so it'll be really interesting how to see how he does for Huddersfield now. But he's again, a player to watch now, I think, yeah. He is, but from Huddersfield's perspective, it's very, very odd. They lose 3-0 midweek, and now they've gone on 1-2-0 against QPR. Obviously, QPR, we have previously spoke about, they are struggling, but you'd expect a bit more of a fight from QPR, but don't take anything away from Huddersfield. You know, their inconsistency does continue, but it is a win, and could this put them onto maybe a bit of a, bit of a run of form? Potentially, um, Harry Toffolo getting the other goal as well. Defender does like to chip in with a few goals. Um but yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was an interesting one. Um, a result from two teams that seem to be evenly matched in terms of league position um, so far, and on the whole, um, probably an unexpected result after seeing Huddersfield get absolutely trounced in midweek. But moving on to the next game, another so-called shock result. I wouldn't really say it's a shot based on the form that Cardiff are in, but looking at Watford and how good they have proven that they can be, especially with the quality that they have on the pitch, um, slumping to a 1-0 home defeat, especially with fans in. Um, quite surprising to see, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was surprising to see. Uh, Keith Moore obviously popping up with the goal again. Um, but with Watford having fans back, you expect a bit more fight, you know, side top on the table at the minute. But then at the same time, we're looking at this Cardiff side and we've said that the most informed team in the championship at the minute, nine points from nine, eight goals scored, zero conceded. They really are proving to be a side to be feared. And uh, Kiefer Moore, again, proving the point that I said about him earlier, being probably uh, one of the most prolific strikers in the championship at this moment of time, alongside Ivan Tony. Um, but yeah, really, really looking forward to seeing what Cardiff can do this season. Obviously, being beating one of the top teams in Watford 
could they maybe, you know, fly up the league, fly up the, fly up the table? Um, it'd be yeah, I mean, we've seen it already. Um, and it, it's a very big possibility. And um, quite frankly, if I was a Cardiff um, City fan, I'd be loving life. And if I was a Stoke City fan, I would be fearing what Cardiff might be doing to them um, come the midweek round of fixtures. But talking of Stoke City, um, let's have a look at what they had for their result at the weekend. They managed to beat Middlesbrough 1-0 at home. What did you make of that one, Ducker? Yeah, uh, big win for Stoke. And uh, I think Stoke are really looking on to carry on that form. So beat Wickham midweek and now beat Middlesbrough. Two 1-0 victories. Very, very, very Stoke thing to do, get the 1-0 wins. But are they turning themselves around? Obviously, we've seen them finish mid-table. The past two seasons, they've been in the championship. Are they now starting to flop, move up the table? Obviously, they're in the playoffs now. And are they being Stoke that we expected when they first came down to the championship. But a funny thing about this game was Neil Warnock's comment on the away changing room. I think that loss really did rattle him as he was going on about um, the state of the away changing room was in with flooded toilets, um, a flooded changing room. Um, obviously, probably a disgusting sight as it is, uh, what you probably wouldn't expect from a championship changing room. Um, but however, you can't put that as the reason why Middlesbrough lost. They lost because they weren't the better team in the game and Stoke were, and Stoke got all three points. Yeah, I mean, it was never really going to be a goal fest in this one, I don't think. Um, I think you predicted this one to be a nil-nil. Brexit um, football, that's why. On, <laughs> on the whole, yeah, a fairly kind of mellow game, so to speak. Not a lot going on, really. But the one thing to take from this is Stoke have held themselves into the playoff positions. Um Moving on then from Stoke against Middlesbrough. Final game. What have you got as the next game? Uh, oh, yes, it is the final it's game. final yeah. game and it's Swansea versus Luton. Um, and in this game, Swansea scored very early on and then scored very late on. There was also a red card for Pearson for Luton in the 70th minute. Um, Roberts coming up with a goal in the first two minutes of the game for Swansea, which are kind of kind of put the record of things in the game. Uh, under, are you getting the assist for that and also scoring later on? So he was obviously a key player in this game, but kind of put a record on. They scored early on, and I think from then on in, all they had to do was defend. And obviously Luton, we have sung Luton's praises, but we also have to admit they haven't got the greatest quality um, after going behind in games. Not not compared to the likes of um, Swansea. I mean, realistically, we've spoken about this um, personally before. Andre Ayew is a very, very good player. That's just to highlight one of that squad. Um, He is, quite frankly, not a championship player you've got to look at him and say he could still be doing a job in the Premier League um, and he proven he's proven that in this game he's got a goal and an assist um, obviously as Swansea ran out two winners at home um, Luton did have their fair share of chances I would say in this game um, they did also hit the woodwork it's one of them that they've kind of um, they've got to look at it and go right okay Yes, we've proven that we can do results like this before, obviously picking up um, all three points at Norwich. Um, they have had quite a tough run of games of late, obviously playing both the Welsh sides in Cardiff and Swansea, sandwiching that Norwich game that they won. Um, I think getting three points from nine they are... is actually not too bad for them. And I think they'll be very, very pleased no. with that. Um, again, if they've got zero... Yeah, it, it would be, they'll be disappointed in the way that they've kind of dominated for periods of the Swansea game. However, ultimately, if you'd look if you'd look at the way that people would have imagined those games to be panned out, um, it might have been very different to how it ultimately did turn out. 100%. And quite frankly, um that's quite a nice way to wrap up the weekend's fixtures. And obviously yeah, I think we are heading into predict- a gonna- very busy 
Yeah, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna ask you one thing, Josh. Um, instead of doing the predictions, I want to say, on. give me one, tell me one thing that you think is going to happen over these next two game weeks. Just one thing. One thing I think that's going to happen. Um, I think. Let me have a look at what games we've got coming up. So obviously we've got midweek games, and we've got some weekend games, um, some quite notable ties. Um, I think that. What do I think is going to happen? Uh, you're not going to be top of the league next time we speak. That's what I think is going to happen. Now, I'm going to say something quite interesting. I think um, Wickham Wanderers are going to win a game by a three-goal margin. Do you know what I'm going to think? Do you know what I'm going to think? What do you reckon is going to happen? I think that Wickham Wanderers, uh, sorry, Coventry City will get um, and they will get. They will have had. They win this weekend that we just covered. They will have won midweek, and they'll win at the weekend as well. They have nine points from nine. That's what I'm going to say. But then again, controversial that. Controversial. I said that I think that Wickham are going to win a goal by win a game by a three goal margin. And they also one of Wickham's games is actually against Coventry. Exactly. Let's see what comes of that. But we're going to leave the predictions for this week. Because we've been talking a lot for a long time, but I think midweek there was a lot that we needed to cover um, for this one. But that has obviously been this week's episode of the podcast. Um, thank you very much again, Duka, for joining me on this one as much as it is probably more me joining you but nonetheless as you yeah. kind of explained at the start um this key this is going to be our setting for the next kind of few weeks and um, we'll try and do whatever we can obviously there's some very interesting games coming up i can't wait to finally get back to a football game um and obviously i'm very much enjoying the fact that um foot, people can start playing football again but we're kind of away from the football side of things and just to talk, or I was going to just talk about the channel, but I'll let you talk before you before I keep rambling on. Oh no, I, was, I mean, if, sorry, um, I, I thought you finished talking. That's all. No, I, I was on a roll, mate. You've interrupted my flow. Sorry, do we carry um, on my? Do we do my role or not? Or and then go on. You 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 spiel it off, and we'll end this off. All right, so guys, if you have enjoyed this video, please subscribe to the channel. Please drop a like. Please drop a comment. Uh, on what you think we should talk about in next week's podcast. Also, don't remember, as Eden always says, to tickle the notification bell um, and also go follow our socials um, and, uh, yeah, give us a follow on there. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, great. Leave a like and subscribe. Anyway, cheers, Josh. Thank you very much, Ducker. And like he said, I'll echo everything he said. We'd love to hear from people. So if you do fancy getting involved and letting us know what you think, um, please do. And any feedback is really appreciated because we want to make this as enjoyable for everyone as possible. As much as we love talking about football, we want to make it enjoyable for people to listen to. But like we said, that's the end of this podcast. So I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.